John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, if you need one, there's one there in the, in the uh, seat in back in front of you. Man, again, let me just say thank you to you for being here in the Lord's house this morning. I'm excited to spend a little bit of time in God's Word together and, and really to hear what He has to say to us today. And uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time or for the first time in a while, first of all, you have honored us by being in the Lord's house. It's an honor to have you. I would encourage you, take one of our connection cards, fill it out, and bring it to us at the information desk just outside here in the lobby afterwards. we got a special gift there for you. We'd love to give to you just to say thank you for being here. This morning is actually week number three of a new series that uh, we began just obviously three weeks ago. Hello. <laughs> On the miracles of Jesus. And over the past couple of weeks, we've actually spent time looking at Jesus' miracles and and we started by looking in John chapter 2 when we saw there at the wedding feast when water actually recognized the will and the voice of Jesus. Remember, the water recognizes the will and the voice of Jesus. And then we were looking last week in John chapter 4 uh, where Jesus healed the nobleman's son. His son had been so sick. If you read that passage in John chapter 4, it's amazing because his son was so sick that the Bible says he was about to die. And so Jesus actually performs a miraculous healing, uh, overcoming time and distance. Because here's the really cool thing. Jesus is met in Cana of Galilee by the nobleman whose son is over 20 miles away in Capernaum. And he's about to die. And so we looked at that miracle last week and we saw how God worked in a miraculous way. The nobleman, what's pretty interesting is the nobleman comes, he's looking for physical healing for his son, and yet in the end, not only does he get that, but the really cool thing is we've been saying over and over, with Jesus, we always get more than we need. Hold on, let me try that again. With Jesus, we always get more than we need. We always get more than we ask. We always get more than we deserve. And so this nobleman, he gets, he gets what he asked for, right? He says, go thy way, thy son liveth. He gets the physical healing for his son. But what's really cool is when his servants meet him on the road and they tell him exactly the time that his son was healed, he realizes that it was only by the word of God that his son was healed. And he goes back and the Bible tells us in John chapter 4 that not only was his son healed, but guess what? Now his faith that is beginning to blossom. We talked about that weak faith that continued to blossom. And when he gets home, it's full-grown faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that his whole family gets healed spiritually. Oh, listen, both miracles, think about it, both miracles actually revealed the, the presence of faith and obedience when God works, right? When we looked at John chapter 2, it was the servants. Jesus said, remember, Jesus' mom says, hey, whatever he says, you do it. And so Jesus says, hey, go fill out the ceremonial water pots. And so it was the servants who just took him at his word and they were obedient. And then they were the ones that were able to see the miracle when Jesus turned the water to wine. In the nobleman's story, in John chapter 4, we see faith and obedience again. Remember, the nobleman's faith was weak. It was, it was based on something that he had heard about Jesus. He comes to Jesus. Jesus says, go thy way, thy son liveth. And he goes his way. And then his faith is continuing to be bolstered. And then when he has confirmation of that faith, oh man, look at what the Lord has done in his life. And so, how incredible is the Lord our God? Oh, he's incredible. Thank you, Yvonne. Oh, he's such a good, good God. He's good all the time. 
It's amazing how all of Jesus' miracles, when I look, especially these ones that John has kind of hand-selected, the Holy Spirit has inspired John, and John has included them in his gospel, right? And he includes these miracles. It's amazing to me when I look at all of these miracles from Scripture, they tell us so much more, not just about what Jesus did way back then, but it tells you and I today what he wants to do in your lives today and tomorrow and in the days ahead. He's not done. Listen, we still serve a God of miracles. Do we have to do the test again? Put your hand in front of your mouth. <sighs> breathe on your hand. It's kind of nasty, but breathe on your hand. <sighs> You'll feel the hot air. This room is filled with a lot of hot air. That's a miracle. The fact that you're able to sit upright is a miracle. I just found out that my mom actually invested in a dog seat. Have you seen these things, a dog seat? It's a miracle that they even make such a thing, right? The fact that you and I can actually sit upright is a miracle. The fact that we're able to stand and walk, digest food, is a miracle. We look at all these miracles in Scripture, and it's amazing to me, and we've been using the definition from Merriam-Webster of a miracle to kind of guide our study, and so let's look at the definition again. Merriam-Webster says that a miracle is an extraordinary event that manifests the divine intervention into human affairs. So, in other words, it's, it's, it's a breaking of natural law. And so if something happened, if there was a miracle in my life or your life, even though you and I could try to explain it away, the reality is it's still a miracle. I was sharing with you, even last week, the story of uh, the intervention of my dentist. That's a miracle. That that was found and taken care of in a timely fashion. Well, listen, miracles are all around. In fact, it's been said, the bigger our problem, the greater potential for a miracle. Anybody got a problem this morning? Anybody facing something this morning? I'd say all of us, I know, but we're looking at one another. I'd say all of us are, are in need of some miracles in our lives. And so let's look at what the Bible says in John chapter 5. Beginning in verse number 1, look at this incredible story. The Bible says, after this there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole, and whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 38 years. That's a long time of a problem. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now been a long time in that case, he saith unto them, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now drop down in your Bible. Look at verse number 14. Because some things happen. And then notice it says, Afterward, Jesus find him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. 
And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that had made him whole. If you go back to verse 1, immediately, we're going to work right through this. Immediately in verse 1, we're told that Jesus is in Jerusalem to attend a feast. Now, the particular feast is not mentioned, but what we would say is that it's probably one of the feasts of obligation. We had the Passover, the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of Pentecost. And many scholars think it was Passover, but really it doesn't matter. What's important to understand is that the Feast of Obligation were named obligation because every Jewish male 20 years of age or older, if they were within a a 20-mile radius, they had to go to Jerusalem. And so what we find is that our Lord is actually obedient and shows up in Jerusalem here. And really his obedience, here's here's a great thought for us. His obedience offers him another time, another opportunity to reach, to teach, and to minister to people. He shows up at Jerusalem for a feast. Maybe it's the Passover. It it, it really doesn't matter, but it gives him another opportunity to reach out and to teach and to minister to people. And really, isn't that what we should be doing? As we go out these doors, there's so many people that we come into contact with who are hurting. Man, if we would just take a step and love people the way that Jesus loved people. What a sweeter place, oh, the good old U.S. of A. would be if we all did that. Amen? And so we see this. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says, Now at Jerusalem by the sheep market there was a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And if you just stopped right there, you would say, Man, this almost sounds like Aruba. I mean, they got a pool. It's a pool with five porches. I bet they got some nice uh, lawn chairs there. Maybe maybe it's a beautiful resort that we could all go to. In fact, if you do a Hebrew study of the word Bethesda, it actually means a place of kindness. Who doesn't like to go to a place of kindness? It beats the alternative, right? It's like we, we all find ourselves sometimes in places that are not very kind. It's a place of kindness. In fact, most scholars believe that a more accurate understanding of a place of kindness would be to refer to Bethesda or this pool area as the house of mercy or grace. Now let's think about what happens here in just a moment. The house of mercy and grace. Verse 3 tells us that this particular resort, look at it, it says it's actually overbooked. It's overbooked, not with families that are looking for the swimming pool, but it's overbooked with a huge crowd of people who are sick in one form or another. In fact, the Bible refers to them all. Notice verse 3, it says, they are impotent. The word impotent means to be weak or without strength. Have you ever felt weak or without strength? Have you ever felt weak or without strength mentally? Physically? Spiritually, financially, emotionally, it doesn't matter what you're facing this morning. There are times, and you say, no, I feel pretty good this morning. Get ready. Get ready. You might feel good today, but guess what? Tomorrow's a coming. Right? And so there's a bunch of people here a week and without strength. In fact, the Bible actually gives us some descriptions. Look at verse 3. It says that they were blind. These are people that cannot see. These are people who are crippled. It says they're halt. They cannot walk. They're unable to walk. The Bible says that they're withered. These are people who are all dried up. Have you ever met some dry people before? <laughs> That's a different message. <laughs> they're all dried up. 
These people are withering away. These people are paralyzed in some way. And I don't know about you, but I was telling our Bible study class, I like to close my eyes and get into the story. Close your eyes. Picture the scene. It's a beautiful, picturesque pool with five porches. And yet I don't see any vendors selling hot dogs, popcorn, and chips there. I see a bunch of people who are weak and without strength. I see a bunch of people who are focused on the wrong thing. It kind of reminds me of that song. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, people need the Lord. You look at these people around this pool. They're all sick. They're all blind. They're, they're lame. They're paralyzed in some form or fashion. And they're waiting on what? They're waiting on the water to move. They're, they're literally, and I don't mean to be over, overly uh, dramatic, but they're laying here watching this water to see if it's going to move, hoping for something that will never come, hoping for a cure. Verse 4 tells me that these people are people of faith. Look at verse 4. It says, For the angel of the Lord went down in a certain season into a pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Listen, I don't know what kind of psychological healing was going on, but here's what I know, that somebody must have overcome whatever they were facing and somebody then believed that the water had healing power. And so... I'm just not hanging out. I'm going to get somebody to move me after 38 years if nothing's happening. So there's obviously something going on. Uh, the Lord is intervening in some way, and we really don't know. But I can tell you these are people of faith, but sadly their faith is focused in the wrong direction. I've learned in my almost 53 years of life that everybody has faith in something. Even if that's something is themselves. Have you ever met people who say, I'll take care of it, I can do it on my own. We can't do it on our own. We need the Lord. We need the Lord's help in our lives. Listen, what is our faith focused on today? Because verse number five tells us that this guy who's taken up residency for 30 years, he's been there 38 years waiting for a cure. He's been there 38 years waiting for a chance. He's been there 38 years waiting for a change in his circumstance. And he's waiting for something that will never come. In verse number 6, the Bible tells us that Jesus comes in. He enters in. He sees the man and he singles him out from the crowd. And I know the normal question is, well, why? Why does he single out this guy? I mean, you just told me the whole place is packed with people who are impotent, people who are blind, halt, and, and paralyzed. Why does he single out this man? I wish I could tell you. I don't know. Maybe he was the oldest one there. I don't know. Maybe he was the one who had been there the longest. I don't know. But, the, but all I do know from Scripture is that Jesus seeks him out. And based on what I read to you in verse number 14, the Bible tells us that his, 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 his paralysis is somehow connected to his life. Because it says, go, Jesus says, hey, listen, thou art made whole. When he's in the temple, he's talking about spiritual healing. But when he does that, he says, thou art made whole. He then says this, he follows it up, he says, go and 
and sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto you. So it gives us some indication about this guy's life. And here's the crazy thing. The Lord knows the man's uh, paralysis has been for a long time because it says when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he asked this question. He says, will thou be made whole? Now, at first glance, this seems crazy. I mean, who wouldn't want to be healed after 38 years, right? Anybody had a cold this winter? I had bronchitis for like two weeks. And I was like, please, please, Lord, right? Can you imagine sitting by the poolside, waiting for a healing, waiting for a cure that would never come? And then some man, now this man doesn't know who Jesus is, but Jesus walks up to him and he says, Wilt thou be made whole? Can you imagine? He probably would have thought, Duh. Yeah, I want to be made whole. But that's not what we find. See, Jesus is trying to, really, I believe when he looks down and he says, Wilt thou be made whole? I believe that Jesus sees this man as being hopeless and he wants to instill a, a little bit of hope. He wants to incite the man's will a little bit. And yet what we find is, is that the man, his response is so totally different than what we would expect. The truth is that sometimes our logical assumptions override our theological beliefs. Think about that again. Our logical assumptions override our theological beliefs. A lot of times we say in our mind, in our hearts, yes, Lord, I believe. And then we live our lives in a way that communicates we really don't believe. Our logical assumptions override our theological beliefs. In other words, disappointment or skepticism keep us from actually hearing what the Lord wants to say to us. Can I tell you a dangerous road to travel is the road of discouragement, disappointment, despair, and depression? We get discouraged in our lives sometimes. And if we're not careful, if we, if we don't forget that it's all about Jesus, we're liable to head right on down the road to disappointment. And when we get to disappointment, see, the disappointment's okay. Sometimes we can have disappointment with one another. I can be disappointed in another. But when I take that disappointment, I say, Lord, I'm disappointed that you have me in this situation. If we're not careful, we go from discouragement to disappointment. And then we head on down the lane to a little land where this man was at, I believe. He was in a place of despair. A place of despair says, it ain't going to change. I don't believe it's going to get better. See, we, 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 we assume the worst instead of believing the best. It's never going to change. And then the problem with it is we blame God. God, you see me here. You see my need. Why don't you do something about it? And if we're not careful... Discouragement, disappointment, despair lead to a little nasty thing that I've been there. And so I can speak with a little bit of authority on it. It's called depression. Anybody here ever face depression? Nobody likes to admit it. But the reality is probably eight and ten people in here have been through periods of depression. Probably higher than that, maybe ten by ten. Oh, we have to be so careful. 
See, the reality of the situation is, is that Jesus comes to him and he says, Wilt thou be made whole? And really, other than trying to instill a little bit of hope, Jesus is saying, Listen, uh, I want you to take your eyes off of something that is not going to help you. I've been there, done that. Anybody kept your eyes on something that you thought was going to be the next best thing or something that was going to change your life irrevocably and that it never panned out to be that? Listen, how many times do we keep our eyes fixed on everything under the sun except for Jesus? Listen, like this man in our text, we wait on something to happen, some emotion, some exercise, some experience to envelop us rather than just looking to Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the shame and the punishment of the cross. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. Verse number 7 actually exposes, look at verse number 7 because it exposes the sad state of affairs in this man's life. It says the impotent man answered him. He says, sir, I have no man. Jesus is like, what are you talking about? I'm standing right here. He says, I have no man. Look, he says, when the water is troubled to put me in. But while I'm coming, yet another step down before me. He says, I can never get to the water first. Therefore, I'm never healed. I'm never going to be changed. Instead of shouting an emphatic, yes, I want to be healed, the helpless and hopeless man begins to tell Jesus why he can't. And so Jesus here in verse number 7 is trying to redirect his focus. And I believe this morning, just maybe he's trying to redirect our focus. Maybe the Lord wants us to redirect our focus away from something, some, some thought that we may have about a change in our life, and instead of that, put our focus on him. Look at verse number 8. Jesus takes it a step further. He's not only trying to offer this man, he takes it a step further. He doesn't go, abracadabra, alakazam, get up, you're healed. He, he doesn't speak any words of healing. He doesn't speak any words of, of, uh, of potion. He says, rise up. He says, get up, get your bed, and get moving. <laughs> oh, by the way, it was the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that thing, right? That wasn't a breaking of Moses' law. That was a breaking of man's law. He says, uh, got some good news for you. He says, you don't need a man to put you in the pool because God is here in the flesh. He says, so get up, get your bed, and get moving. Listen, I know you're sick. I know that you've been here for 38 years. I know that muscle atrophy has set into your legs a long time ago. I know that you probably have no strength to stand physically. But I've got some good news for you. The supernatural power of God is going to infuse your legs so that you can get up, get your bed, and get moving. Oh, Jesus proclaims his authority over sickness and disease. He did it then, and I got news for you. He can do it today. He declares his majesty in the midst of others who were watching. He doesn't pronounce words of healing. Listen, his words, when he says, rise up, take thy bed and go, his words were the enablement for this man to be healed. At this point, the man has two choices, much like us today. He had a choice. He could either believe or he could disbelieve. The choice is ours today. We can either believe that Jesus is still on his throne high and lifted up as Isaiah saw him in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah said, woe is me, Lord, for I'm a man of unclean lips. 
We can still see Jesus in that realm, or we can disbelieve what Jesus says and continue to exist. In, in our, in, listen, you say, well, I, I have a relationship with the Lord, but how is our relationship? Because every miracle, the prerequisite, remember, is a problem. See? And so maybe we have something going on in our lives. Someone has said this, listen, someone has said, the one who has the power to heal also has the right to be obeyed. When he told Jesus, when Jesus told the man, get up, get your bed and get moving, he got up, he got his bed, and he got moving. How about us? Do we believe the word of God? Do you believe that Jesus is able to, to, to rise us up from our emotional uh, state where we need emotional healing, mental healing, spiritual healing, financial healing, whatever kind of healing we are in need of today, chances are most of us need something today. Otherwise, let's go play golf. I love golf, but not at the time I have opportunity to worship Jesus. Hey, do you know that I actually worship God while I'm playing golf? Even when I make those nasty triple and quadruple bogeys. It, even while I'm watching Chuck make birdies. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm like hitting in the dirt. You want to know how I can worship God when I play golf? As I look at the beauty of his creation. I look at the handiwork of God. And I can see his omnipotent power. Oh, listen, how we need to remember what seems impossible with us is always possible with God. In Psalm 37, the psalmist said, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Oh, listen, if we would just keep our eyes focused on Jesus, Isaiah 26, 3 says, The mind that is stayed on thee, if we'll just keep our minds focused on Jesus, the Bible says he will give us perfect peace. Oh, verse 4 there tells us he's our everlasting strength. You see, just like the nobleman whose weak faith was bolstered when Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. The man who had been paralyzed for so long was given the opportunity to be healed. However, here's a neat little fun fact for us. For the man's miracle to be effective, Jesus said, Rise, take your bed and walk and get out of here. For the, the miracle, when he said it, it was done. Remember I said last week when Jesus says it, I know it's an old-fashioned statement, but it's actually really true. When Jesus says it, that settles it. When he told the nobleman, thy son liveth, you know, like, go thy way, thy son liveth, right? When he honors the man's request and then begins to spur something much deeper and much greater in the man's heart. See, when he says it, it settles it. But here's the point. The miracle only becomes effective in this man's life at the pool. Watch. Get up, get your bed, and get moving. Here's where it becomes effective. Watch, here it is. When he exercises faith and obedience. Jesus says it, and that certainly settled it. But the man could have said, you're some kind of quack. Who are you? Remember, because the Jews come, they don't like that he's been healed on the Sabbath, and he has no clue who's healed him. 
All he knows is he's up and he's walking around. He doesn't recognize that it's Jesus till he gets to the temple in verse number 14. And then he goes out and tells the Jews in verse number 15 that it's Jesus that heals him. For the miracle to become effective in his life, there was a human element. And sometimes I and sometimes you will have to step into rough waters before God provides healing. You remember God told Naaman to go out into the water how many times? Seven times. Can you imagine Naaman's probably like, are, are you kidding? That water's cold. That water's rough. I don't want to do it, Lord. And yet his obedience and faith, oh, on that seventh time, oh, the healing was procured. Again, only God performs miracles. Only God performs miracles. But through our obedience, we position ourselves for the Lord to do great and mighty things which we don't even have a clue about. The key is faith. In fact, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is the message that Jesus has for us today. Believe and obey. If you'll exercise faith, if I'll exercise faith, I just believe that along the way he'll provide the miracles. If, you know, it's like a lot of times I have people call, they say, hey, pastor, I'm looking for a miracle. I say, quit looking for the miracle and look at Jesus. Quit looking for the miracle and just focus on Jesus. See, if we don't focus on Jesus, we're no better than the impotent man or the one that was blind, sick, or whatever their situation is at the pool, just focusing on some other thing. Oh, listen, it's such a shame. In fact, when I think it, it's such a shame that the religious leaders of this time couldn't see who Jesus was. In fact, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 35 provides us, Isaiah 35 provides us with some information regarding the prophesied ministry of the Messiah. Notice what verse 3 and following here of Isaiah 35 says. It says, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the, watch this, then shall the lame man leap as a heart or a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the deserts. See, if the religious leaders had known their own scripture, that's why it's important to study the word of God. The Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. See, if they had known their own scriptures, they would have actually recognized on the Sabbath. They wouldn't have got upset. They would have recognized that their Messiah had come. They would have said, whoa, a lame guy is up walking around? This might just be what Isaiah prophesied about. Maybe it's our Redeemer. But they were so caught up and they were so consumed with their own regulations, their own religiosity, that they could not see. And so let's wrap this up. The only assumption that I should have, the only assumption that we should have when you and I are faced with, here I'm going to give you some big air quotes, whatever, it doesn't matter. The only assumption that I should have and that you should have when I'm faced with something spiritual, something physical, something emotional or mental, something uh, uh, that is in our life, the only assumption I should have is that God is able. That's the assumption I should have. 
But see, our logical assumptions sometimes trump our theological beliefs. See, in Ephesians 3.20, Paul finishes his second prayer to the saints at Ephesus by calling the one calling on the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. Oh yes, God is able. Romans 5.20 tells us that where sin abounds, oh yes, the grace of God abounds more. After 38 years, think about that, that's a long time. How many people here are younger than 38 years of age? Okay, let's take another poll. <laughs> I like polls, whatever, right? Uh, <laughs> is there anybody in this room 38 years of age? Dave and Jason. You guys look pretty good for 38. That's a long time. Can you imagine from the moment you were born to right now laying and waiting something to come. What's crazy to me is after 38 years of foolishly focusing his attention on something that could not or would not ever cure him, the impotent man comes face to face with the omnipotent God in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, when he was told to get up and get moving, this man had to choose whether he was going to believe or disbelieve. And when he chose to believe, he was able to experience the miracle working power of God. In verses 8 and 9, we're, we're told about his physical healing. And in verses 14 and 15, we're told about his spiritual healing. Oh, my friends, like I've said over the past few weeks, listen, just like I've been saying, this man got more than he needed and this man got more than he deserved when he came face to face with Jesus Christ. In this miracle, the Lord Jesus Christ put God's mercy and grace on full display. Everybody there at the pool saw it. He put God's mercy and grace on full display for everyone to see. Remember, he came to the man, he spoke to the man, he healed the man physically, he met the man in the temple, and he healed the man again spiritually. Oh, he got more than he needed. He got more than he asked for. He got more than he deserved. And I just put here as a way of clothes, listen, when we exercise faith, when you and I exercise faith and we walk in obedience to the word of God, just like the impotent man if we'll just get up and get our bed and get moving, I just have to believe that miracles will come. And so, the ultimate question is, what type of miracle are you in need of this morning? Because the only one that can meet that need is Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith is willing and more than capable, more than able to meet your need and my need and the needs of the world. But it's just asking for a little bit of faith. Remember I said last week, if we would just exercise the faith of a little mustard seed, the Bible says that we could move mountains. Not we, but he. See, we have to quit focusing on the miracle and focus on the miracle maker. What is your need this morning? Maybe you're here and you say, I've heard a lot about Jesus, but I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I encourage you, you'll never have a greater opportunity than right now. In recognition of your need, if you'll just open up your heart. The Bible says if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, He'll save you. He'll begin to work on the inside. He'll begin that miracle, that transformation 
work on the inside. That's the greatest miracle of all, the forgiveness of sin, right? But maybe you're in need of some healing within your family unit. Maybe you're in need of some healing of some relationships in the workplace. Maybe you're in need of some, some other type of miracle. I want to encourage you, exercise faith and simply walk according to the word of God. Remember, the mother of Jesus told the servants back in John chapter 2, verse 9, whatever he says to do, do it. That's all I say to you today. When we look at God's word, he gives us a lot of information on how to live our lives. We have a choice. We can either believe or disbelieve. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.